Uh, we're starting a new sermon series this morning called Culture War. Sounded like a fun one. Culture War. And I, I know you guys are excited to talk about the culture war. I know everyone can't get enough of all the fighting in the culture, all the ways that we're each other's throats, we're so sick of each other. Everyone, you know, the person at the light in front of you takes too long, you're like, on the horn, get out of my way. I can't believe we even live in the same country. We're all crazy in our culture war. It might be what you think we're doing, but we're not doing that. <laughs> because I'm bored with that. Like, I'm so bored with it. And we were talking, that, and, and hopefully you're finding ways to engage in conversations with others that are meaningful, right? I was talking to Steve Hampshire last week about a different conviction, uh, or similar though, and, and, and it, was, it was, I was like, man, we have such a better story to tell. And we just don't tell our story. And I start thinking, well, how can we as a church family tell our story better? Now, you see, there's a reality in our life that we are only responsible for things that we have the ability to do, right? That we have the ability or the responsibility or the power, the dunamis, the ability to do, right? Like that God's made provision for us to do some things. And, and what is that? And shame on us if we aren't telling a better story than the culture, right? Like, that's the problem. I feel like we hear these, we're like, that's a crazy story. That's not, you know, I was talking to someone else this week, and they were like, do you, do you think that, the, that we have, that we know what love looks like, or do you think that we have love wrong, and that the, you know, God says what love looks like? And it's like, well, that's kind of an obvious, we think God has the right answer to what love looks like, not what we think it is, but do we tell that story? And so I started thinking about the idea of culture, and not the culture out there. And so this is what I'm going to try to do in this series. We're going to spend a few weeks in this. But not the culture out there, church, but the culture in here. And maybe even more so that, the culture in here. Not, not just in here. That's one of my first thoughts is, well, we're together. We're together most weeks. And what kind of a culture do we create here at Family Bible Church? But wait a minute. Maybe more importantly, what kind of a culture do we create in our heart when we're out there? having conversations. Because here's the truth of the matter. It's easy to cast aspersions on that bad culture, but so many times it's bad culture here that's having the effect. And when I say that, I don't mean like bad culture, like we're, in, we're indoctrinated. In the, no, we don't tell the better story. <laughs> Can we tell a better story? And so we're going to spend a few weeks talking about that, the culture war. Why would I say war then? Well, the, the second thing is it's the culture in here, but we're in a spiritual battle. Like, this is why it's so hard. I've said with so many of you, and, and through tears and through difficulty, it's like, I don't know why this is so hard, and it hits me. Well, it's because it's a war. <laughs> There's this eternal battle going on for what's true and what's not true, and, and who's God and who's not God, and, and who are we and who are we not, right? And there's this huge fight happening, and then we're wore out at the end of the day, and we're like, why is it so hard? And it's like, put on your hat, you know, like, put, carry your weapon, you know, get into the battle, because it's a war, so then I start thinking, well, how do we win a culture war? And I'm, I'm convinced. And I'm convinced because of practice, but, but we just need to tell a better story. And we're going to talk about how we do that. How, how can we tell a better story? I don't know if you're like me, but there are times that I'm put in a position where I'm like, I, that's not the story at all. Like, you get kind of cornered on something. That's not the story at all. If you're a, uh, uh, not ecumenical, I should say, uh, more um, traditional, it was funny this morning, we were singing these great songs about resurrection, man, great songs. But many of you, some of you might know that this last week was the beginning of Lent. Hmm? One of the convictions the church has over much of the world is this is a time of, 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 of waiting, of, of longing, and it is, of denying, and, and we can't say words like hallelujah during Lent, right? Because we need to be restrained for 40 days as we wait for the joyful morning of Easter. And I was thinking about that season of Lent, and, and then I love the songs. We picked these songs, and we're like, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And it's like, oh boy, man, that's a Lenten get ready for Easter song. But we can't say it in the church. I get it. There's this idea that we should restrain ourselves, right? We should wait for that morning, the big morning, the Easter morning. But guess what? Easter happened. We're post-resurrection people right now. A friend of ours was asking a few of us, um, what are you going to give up for Lent? And I'm like, nothing. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't give up something for Lent. If you feel compelled to do that, to sacrifice, to fast, or to, to, to maybe make a change in your life, you know, I heard a news reporter of all things this week say, why is it so hard to keep our habits? And, and I'm like, oh, you're talking about, and they said, you know, by now the habits from uh, January, New Year's resolutions, are gone. Like, no one's keeping them anymore, right? And I thought, that's the cute noise. And then the next thing she said blew me away. She said, many of us are going to fail in our Lent commitments. I'm like, oh, wow, she's asking the question of the culture and the faith. How am I going to keep my promises for 40 days? I couldn't keep it for, you know, the, the, the two months so far. How do I do that? And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So I thought about this. Well, then maybe, and this is where maybe the series comes in, you know. Instead, how can we be intentional about um, following God through change in our own lives that makes us ready to be resurrection people? Because this is why I think we have to have a better story. Because we're resurrection people. I mean, I'll tell you something. I get it. When we're, when we're at the graveside, when I've stood many times at a graveside. I've stood many times as we grieved and mourned, and we do. And yet, the Bible commends us, and we do, if we practice, if we focus in the moment, do not grieve as those without hope. <laughs> we're not glad to be there, but we're not surprised to be there, and we're ready for what's next. This is not all there is. And so we lean in now instead of thinking about, and maybe, again, you want to give something up? I'm not against that, but maybe, what are we, what are we for? What are we going to build into our toolbox when we get ready for Easter that'll be, make us more equipped to fight the culture war in church? The things that we, assumptions that are made that we're going to have to work hard to refute because they're so known in the culture. I know what you Christians are about. I know what you Christians are like. How fun would it be to turn on his head and go, you don't know anything about what we're Christians are like. You don't know. Why would that be a thing? The series is going to be a, uh, a practical and an application series again. And I don't know why I'm hung up on this, guys. And I'm not trying to be, but God just leave me. And I keep praying. And I tell our LT, right? We're meeting this week. I tell them all the time, just pray for discernment where we're heading with this stuff. And there's always that moment like, well, we're going to jump off the, you know, we're going to jump off the rock. We're going to, we're going to dive into the water. We're going to make the plunge. We're going to just do it and see what God has because that's where we feel led to go. But it's very practical again and, and very applicable. That's the goal this morning and for the next few weeks. And then the other thing that stood out to me was this, um, and I want to I put in a plug here because um, we've been meeting here uh, Wednesdays from noon to one in a Bible study, um, men and women, and uh, it, it's been awesome. It, I'm sorry, Thursday. Thank you, Mike. And, um, and it's been awesome. You can meet here Wednesday. <laughs> Nobody be here. Yeah, 12 to 1 on Thursdays. And it's been so awesome. And that's just my experience. And I know some of you are going, uh, duh, I've been in family groups for like the whole, I get it, right? If you're not involved in a small group or Bible study, I can't encourage enough to be in one or to start one. Just do it. You're like, well, how do you know what kind of Bible study it is? Well, if you open the Bible, it's going to produce fruit. <laughs> if you just read the words and you stumble through it together, that's what we do, right? Um, it produces fruit. And uh, I was thinking about that because we were looking at the life of Jesus. And I'm like, man, how, that's what we're going to do in the series, right? It's going to be practical, applicable, but it's going to be like looking at Jesus' life and saying, um, how did he live... And what does that have to teach us about how we ought to live, right? And uh, I know you're like, well, um, obviously, but maybe, then why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we doing it? I was struck last week after JC, um, as he, uh, at, in the post-sermon, you know, life. And I don't know if you have those things at all, but like after worship on Sundays, there's songs that get stuck in my head, and I just sing them all week. I don't know if that's true for you, but it happens to me every week almost, and I was like, praise God for that, um, I always I call it like the, the uh, faith grenade of worship, you know, where they pull the pin on Sunday and it goes off on Wednesday. You know what I mean? Boom, your life. <laughs> you worship and you're like, why am I singing this song? Oh, yeah, we sang it Sunday. That's why. Be in church. Um, be in your, in your small group. But w one of the things that, uh, for JC was I was thinking about, he talked about Jesus washing feet. And I'm like, but there's this great line at the end of it that says, um, now that I have showed you these things, Jesus said, you will be blessed. Who wants to be blessed? You know what the word blessed means? Happy. <laughs> You'll be happy if you what? Do them. Like it's fine to look at Jesus and go, man, he washed people's feet. That's so, how could you? And Peter's like, you know, I washed my feet. And Jason did an awesome job. Man, I was so blessed last week by the word. And then, but then at the end, there's this punchline where Jesus is like, he gets up, gets dressed, gets back down. And he says, now that you've seen this, you're going to be happy if you do it. Follow me. Do it. No teachers above his, uh, no students above his teacher, nor servant above his master. What? So then it begged the question all week for me, Jay Z. It's like, well, do I do those things? It's a great story. It's a great illustration, but do I actually do it? 
And that's what we're going to talk about, how we can do that. And so this first week, we're going to focus on this idea of being invitational. And um, I just kind of threw these things down. And again, I processed it with a few guys, and it was kind of funny to see how God used that to shape the, the series. But um, th- this idea of, you know, in the, I guess it's a fair question to ask, is, was Jesus invitational in the way he lived his life? And what did that look like? And then how can we do it? How can we be happy and be blessed if we do what Jesus himself did? And so I'm gonna pray um, as we always do and then we're gonna get into God's word this morning. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the words that we were able to pray to you. I thank you for the songs we were able to sing to you. I thank you for the way that we join with all creation. And Lord, not just on Sundays, but every day when we wake up and we join creation in singing your praises, um, we get to talk to you every day of our lives, and our faith is 365, not you know, one day a week. Um, but yet, Father, to be with your people is such a blessing, and to be gathered together and to be encouraged um, to have folks journeying with us is such a blessing, Father, and we thank you for that. I pray this morning as we attend to your word and as we have already been, you know, inspired, um, infused with your passion from the, uh, the singing of our doctrine, that we would now um, see it from your word, that we would um, be taught by you. And God, there's a great promise in scripture that you say, in that day, no one will have to be their teacher because I will be their teacher, that they will be mine and I will be their God. And this morning, I'm going to pray in faith that your Holy Spirit would make that verse true for us that we would not be chasing after some worldly wisdom or some man-made thing. And I I pray against all that stuff, Father, but that if these things are true and of you, they would stick in our hearts and our souls. And that maybe, just maybe, Father, if we lean on you, we could change, change how we're perceived or change how we engage with the world. Father, I wanna say a prayer of thanks to you because the war is won. (laughs) Victory is sure. The end result is known. And yet, Father, we're still in the field fighting. Would you inspire us to see, to know, and to believe in this season? We thank you so much for the truth of your word and for the power of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So that's kind of the idea of the series we're kicking off this first week is to, to be uh, invitational. And I'm going to jump right into it. It's a whole lot of practical stuff. And um, the first idea we have is we're being invitational is to come and see. Uh, we can invite others to come and see. I mean, that's as simple as it is as far as following Jesus, right? I think about this often because people are like, oh, I don't know about church. I don't know. I've heard that before. There was someone here a few weeks ago who said, I don't want to come into church, right? I don't want to be, I don't want, that's so, it's like, well, just come and see. And you know, the funny thing about coming and seeing is afterwards, you can say, well, what did you think, right? Was it what you thought it would be? I was kind of surprised by this. It was a little different like that, you know? We can invite other people to come and see. A lot of the verses this morning, as God would have it, has, have come, are coming from the Gospel of John, and um, I'm just going to share a few with you. I don't have any scripture on the screen this morning, so you're going to have to have a Bible in your hand if you want to look at the Word. If you didn't get, a, if you don't have a Bible, um, I want to do that. Um, See me, if you don't have a Bible of your own, and I know I was looking this, this week about the Bibles on our chairs, and the, the print is tiny in those Bibles. So if you need a large print, or if you larger than that, because I need larger than that, I can't, I can't read that, um, talk, talk to me. I'd love to get you um, a Bible that you can see uh, for yourself. John chapter 1, verse 35 is where we're going to start. Just a couple of verses there. We're going to spend a lot of time in John and then in 1 John um, 35 through 46. This is what the word says. The next day, John was there again, that's John the Baptist, um, with the two of his disciples. Those are John's disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, behold, (laughs) the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus looked at them and said, what do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus replied, come and you will see. I want to stop here real quick and say, so here's an invitation from Jesus. And let's just get practical for a minute here. It's so funny, like John the Baptist has been baptizing and he's been making disciples, get ready, get ready. The kingdom is near, you know, all this stuff. And then he says, look, the Lamb of God. And two of his followers go, I'm out. And they just leave (laughs) for Jesus. But what do they, Jesus stops and he's like, what do you follow me for? And they're like, "Where, where where do you stay? And he's like, come and see, just come and see. I mean, he could have given a thousand answers, right? He could have just told him every, every question. This is the funny thing about coming to see Jesus is you, you get to continue to follow, right? You have to follow him and see where he's leading you. You don't get to know the outcome at the start of the journey, right? He's not going to give you all the answers before you take a step with him. Like, that's not how that works. 
And so his response to them, and we will see this over and over again in Jesus' life, and we're talking more about that, what, why he functions. It seems the why he functions the way he does. He says, come and you will see. Let's read on a little more. So they went and saw where he was staying. Look, they got to go see. And they spent a day with him. It was about the 10th hour, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, 42. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, 41. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. (laughs) Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And this is Nathanael's response. We talked about this recently. Nazareth, what good can come from there? Philip's response, come and see. I just think it's so funny because we can invite people just to come and see, come and look, come and observe. You know, this is the the, the simple thing. And the funny bit about it is, for many of us, we feel an obligation beyond that, right? We're going to invite people to come and see, and then what if it doesn't go well? We're going to invite people to come and see, and then what if it gets, what if it gets you know, squirrely, or, or what if they don't see what I see, or, or what if they become critical of me, or what if they, you know, ah, and we, and we don't even invite people to come and see what we have in Jesus. I love Andrew goes to his brother, and he's like, hey, 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 come here. You're not going to believe who we found. Come and see. This invitation becomes a double invitation by Jesus himself where he says, hey, come and see. You want to know what I'm about? Come and see. You want to walk with me? Come and see. But for the disciples, it's the same message. He could have stood there and gave a bunch of answers. Well, I think I can tell you all about Jesus. I think I can answer all of your doctrinal questions. I think I can tell you about the law of Moses. No, we think we found him. Come and see. And he goes and he sees. Well, you know the story, actually. I mean, Nathaniel, Jesus starts talking about Nathaniel's life in ways that he's like, what? How do you know these things? Because he always knew us. Isn't it remarkable, listen to me, church, that if we can reposition our hearts and minds to believe that God already knows the people he's calling to know him, that he knows when they're far away from him, they think that they're out in the woods lost, they think that there's no way God can know about me, that if we say, come and see, that might be a moment of revelation for them. I came to see you and you knew me the whole time? Oh, come on. See, that's a holy work. Did the disciples, did the apostles do it? No, they just said, come and see. Check it out. I think sometimes we won't do those things because we're afraid. Afraid for ourselves, afraid for our own reputation. Let me, oh, maybe afraid to acknowledge ourselves, what we have seen to our friends, our family, our neighbors. What are they going to think of me? Christians don't have a great reputation sometimes. My neighbor don't like Christians. What if he finds out I'm a Christian? What if she thinks that I believe this stuff too? See, this was an invitation that was given over and over again. I actually want to turn to a few chapters back now in John, John chapter 4, someone else that Jesus saw. There's a story, and I'm not going to read it because it's too long, but it's great if you've not read it. I'm sure maybe you have, and it's, it's the woman at the well. And Jesus is in Samaria, and he goes to a well. I'm going to give you the synopsis, and he asks her for a drink, and she's by this. She goes, do you know who I am? I mean, if, if, if you, being a Jew, would ask me for a drink, like, like, do you know our relationship? Do you know who we are? By the way, I find it really interesting in our study, um, uh, one of the accusations against Jesus was he was a Samaritan by the religious people. He, isn't he a Samaritan? Because why? Maybe he'd been so affiliated well, we're going to pick up in, in John 4, 28 to hear this story, because I love her witness. Look at 28. So she's there with Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, I'm the spring of eternal life and all this stuff. And, and then she, he says some things about her life that he could only, he, she's like, how do you know these things? Surely you're a prophet. And then he invites her. Look at 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, look at where it says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I want you to notice a couple of things about her in her response to Jesus. She's not like a know-it-all. She's like, hey, hey. And by, can we just mention that she left her water jar there? Like that was a precious commodity. Like that was a thing that she was going to do. And she forgot what she was on a mission for. She runs back. She's like, hey, hey, you guys got to come and see. 
Could this be the Christ? She doesn't say, hey, come and see. I know it's the Christ. (laughs) Come and see. I've got all the answers now. She's like, hey, come and see. This might be the Christ. I'm just amazed by that. 28. Let's read on then. Come and see. 29. A man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? 30. They came out from the town and they made their way toward him. So they're going to go. Yeah, let's go see what this woman's screaming about. We're going to go to the well. And they're cruising out there. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Oh, we're skipping that part actually. Let's pick it back up here. I'm like, wait a minute. So we're going to do 39 now. There's a story you can read. I'm not trying to jump over the text, but 39 picks up her story again. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So here's the first thing about the come and see invitation. Some people just go, okay, I believe you. So many people believed because of her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. 42, listen to this. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is savior of the world. Man, what a remarkable result of a simple invitation to come and see. Oh, he, you have a great story about Jesus? That's amazing. Wow, and and some people even believe because of her story. But then when they get there and they encounter Christ themselves, they're like, now we believe because we've heard it for ourselves. This is the Savior of the world. What a remarkable result of a simple invitation to come and see. Um, Too many times I think we do feel, we feel that we have to have that end result guaranteed. There's no guarantee. But boy, as a culture, can we we create a culture where we say, hey, just come and see. I uh, was listening to a podcast, I think I told you this, where, um, and that's what got off the habit series a little bit, was uh, there were churches that looked at the habit series and said, what could we do to kind of cause people to invite people, you know? And, and by the way, when I say come and see, I don't mean just a church on Sunday morning either. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you say, come and see at my Bible study, or, or come and see in our, you know, relationships, or come and see, like, a lot of stuff, not just come and see at church, but they were talking about th- things, and I thought it was really interesting because they came up with a few uh, triggers remember the trigger response reward cycle right trigger response reward and they said a couple things you can say to people is or a couple things you can be aware of is if someone's new just moved and they don't have any relationships and they're like hey i'm new to the area and it's like oh that's awesome you should come and see come to my bible study or you should come and come and come and we're gonna talk about this come and have dinner at my house or um come to church well what would that be a, a met need for them because they don't have relationships they're new they feel they're the awkward kid at the dance, right? I don't know these people. Have you ever been the awkward person in the room? I'm like usually that person. It's a lot of courage. Like, come and see. Come and be known. Uh, we can do that. So one of the triggers is that. Uh, another one is, man, I've been just, uh, life's been so hard lately. Like things just don't make sense anymore. That's a great opportunity to say, hey, come and see. Come and see what I know about Jesus. Come and hang out. And however you say that in a way that's, that's just an invitation, hey, come and see. You know one of those things I love that people say often is, what do you have to lose? Um, we do FPU here on uh, Wednesday nights, Tuesday nights. <laughs> I'm going to get all the dates wrong this week. And, uh, and um, one of my, I had laughs hard this, um, they, were, they were talking about doing, handing money on purpose, and they go, listen, if you hate it when you're done, go back to your old ways of doing things if it's, so, if it's better. And I'm always like, uh, no. <laughs> right? Come and see. I mean, it could be. People come and see, go, how many people stood in the crowd around Jesus and went, nope, I don't see it. But how'd they get there? People say, hey, come and, come and see. All right, so we can do that. So uh, the first trigger would be like, I'm new here. The second trigger would be like, um, I'm having a really hard time. And there's a third, but I can't think of it. So maybe you can invent one. That's really good. <laughs> but just those possibly say, okay, that's a moment I can take. That's a moment I can take. All right, here we go. Second simple invitation. And I love this. Let's see here uh, if I can push my slide. Um, Follow Jesus. We can invite people to follow Jesus. Jesus gave a very simple invitation to fishermen, to tax collectors, to religious folks, to everyone. Hey, follow me. Like two words, right? We we say come and see. He says follow me. I'm, I'm stunned by this, the simplicity of it, because our ultimate goal, our ultimate goal as believers in Christ is to follow him ourselves, so to follow his invitation ourselves, right? But to invite others to follow him. And, and, and I think we get that really wrong. We think we have to do more than that. No, just follow Jesus. Why do I think we get that wrong? Because often when we invite others to follow Jesus, if they don't follow him exactly like we follow him, 
we get weirded out. But guess what? They're going to follow him the way they follow him. Well, you know, that, that could be a hard thing, right? Like, how do I deal if they don't agree with me? on this? So talk, have a conversation. But, but what do you press back into? Hey, keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. I don't know about churches, man. Churches are kind of a mess. People there are mean. Yeah, follow Jesus. Well, you know, I mean, all the, there's so many objections can be overcome by just saying those words. Follow Jesus. You show me what it means to follow Jesus. If you, if you have a better way, you show me how to follow Jesus. Let's agree to follow Jesus. I remember a long time ago to middle school, and it's an illustration I used in a sermon, and I'm not going to do it again, but it stuck in my mind and heart forever, was I had two friends come up on, on the front of the room, and I just said, hey, this is my friend, this is my friend, and put their hands together and get out of the way, right? That's following Jesus. It's not our job to be ultimately responsible for everything that happens in our life after that, right? How their faith grows or doesn't grow. It's like, follow Jesus. That's the goal. Well, it's hard. Yeah, sometimes it's hard, but that's the call. Follow him. Again, we see those stories. How many people said, ah, oh, nope, can't do that. It's not a personal, listen, it's not a reflection of who we are when people we've, have been invited don't follow him. We gotta get that through our heads. What's our responsibility? To follow him. And we can invite others to do the same. We can invite them to follow Jesus. Yeah, well, follow Jesus. I got problems. I mean, there's so many conversations I've had that have been so beneficial that way. Um, matter of fact, one time I was talking to somebody, and, uh, and, and this is a funny thing because it wasn't the role of a pastor, right? You have a great opportunity whenever you're, like, doing life to be, like, a side-angle influencer, you know? And uh, I was fixing someone's computer, and I, we, they started talking about their hurts and their hopes and all this and that. And, uh, and I started talking about my faith. And I wasn't being overtly evangelistic particularly. But at the end of the conversation, they said, uh, well, man, the way you tell that story, even I could go to church. And I went, yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't even paying attention. I was doing this thing over here. And I was just talking over here. How many times, like, this is what, you know, when guys work on cars, like, what? Well, because talk about all kinds of crazy things working on cars. These side conversations can be hugely influential. Do, but in our culture, in our heart culture, do we believe that that's the call to invite people to follow Jesus, not to agree with us, not to think we're always right, not to, not to uh, ask them to bless and sanctify all of our life choices, but to say, no, follow Jesus. Come, see, I found the one. And then let them respond to the opportunity to follow him. We make the invitation, we know it control the outcome. Here's a great uh, verse. This is from John 6. 37, Jesus says this, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. It's encapsulated in a whole bunch of stuff in John, but what a great truth. So, well, I don't know what's going to happen. That's right. We don't know the outcome, but everyone that the Father gives to Jesus will come to Jesus. To have a conversation with somebody, and they're like, um, what there's a passage of scripture says, um, Paul says, I make up for what's lacking in the cross. And it's like, what, what's lacking in the cross? Only the proclamation of the cross. We get to invite people, hey, come and see, come and see. That's our worship, our sacrifice to God, that we continue to proclaim the message of what he has already done, in fact, on the cross. There's no insufficiency in the cross itself, but we get to proclaim that to people. And when those triggers go off, life's not fair. I don't, I'm, I'm afraid to die. I, I don't know what's next. All these big, deep conversations. We have a great story to tell about a God who knew them. Listen, you hear the song we sang this morning? Before I breathed, you sang over me. That was said? Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. What? Like, that's the gospel. The God who knows us. So we need to follow Jesus ourselves, and then others can follow him. We can invite them to follow Jesus and I just want to say that again. I don't want to be redundant, but that's the discipleship cue <laughs> over and over again. Life, you know, struggling. Yeah, follow Jesus. Like, just to push him back in that relationship. Don't, I'm, I'm convinced many times I get in the way because I think that I have to have the answers to help them follow Jesus. That's not the truth, right? You follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. And if we get in the way, we can kind of screw things up sometimes. Okay. Here's another one. This is a fun one. We can invite people into our real life. Huh? Invite people into our real life. Not into our Sunday morning life. Not into our, our self-sanctified, you know, this is our real life. I was telling uh, someone recently, I was at a, actually a funeral, be truth be told, and uh, I was waiting to talk to somebody, and uh, somebody said, uh, they thought I didn't know this person. They said, um, um, 
excuse me, I was trying to just wait, wait, you know, I was just being patient, and they, they were, like, feeling awkward for me, and they said, uh, hey, hey, he wants to talk to you, you know who this is? And the person around me goes, yeah, I know him, he's a sinner. And the person goes, no, he's a pastor. And I go, no, I'm a sinner. <laughs> and afterwards I said, I gave him a hug, and I said, that's my favorite induction ever. <laughs> ever, ever. You guys feel free to do that. You want to use me some way? Hi, this is a friend of mine. He's uh, not, maybe not your friend. Right? <laughs> hey, this is a, a sinner I know. Why would I say that? Because this is what happens. We're all hanging out, talking, whatever. It's happening. A softball field is happening out. The bar is happening everywhere. It's having this great conversation. Yeah, yeah, what's going on? Like, oh, this is my pastor. You know, people say a, a bad word and they, they'll be telling a story. They're like, telling it. They're like, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say those things around. As if I'm the sanctifying Holy Spirit, as if I'm the Lord. Now I know there's some good that can come of that, right? You bring that, but no, come on. God is omniscient, omnipresent. I'm a sinner in need of grace. I'm not saying I'm, I'm like, whoa, they're cussing around me. Although there was one over 40 league where the guys didn't care. They weren't impressed at all with me. And I basked in that moment, you know? They were like, so what? You know, I'm like, yes, you know, my people. But then they began to quietly come over and say, so I have a problem. Because see, you got to get in the room, right? Um, invite people into your real life. Um, invite people in, in an intimate way. Listen, where they see you're not perfect. Man, how many times do we run away from that? You know, I would have a small group in my house if it was cleaner. I would have it if I had a nicer house. Um, I would meet for the Bible study if I was smarter. If, if I had more confidence, I could say the right things. I mean, all these ways we discount who we are in real life, but we're followers of Jesus Christ. We're ultimately dependent on him for any successes. Why can we not live into that and say, yeah, come and see it. Wait a minute. Into our real life when we're struggling, we're going to get to that in a minute. Can we invite people in? You see, it's a war of cultures, and we, we self-protect. I have to act a certain way, or what will they think? And we put on a mask, and we fake it. God help us. Um, there's a verse in, in uh, 1 John, uh, 1 John 1, uh, I think, no, maybe 5. Let's see here. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. That seems wrong. Yes, no, this is it. It's a little longer, but we're just gonna, there's one verse in here, but I want to read around it. This is the message we have heard from him and declare now to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus purifies us from all sin. Here's the verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. See, isn't that a scary verse for the church? When you feel that compulsion to pretend you don't have sin, I'm not saying we didn't sin all the more. I mean, I get it. That's not the goal. But it's to say, when you begin to act as if you also are not a sinner, you deny Christ himself. Listen to me, you deny the holiness of God because I'm good enough, but we're not. Oh, what's Paul say of, of all sinners? I'm the worst. And you go, come on, Paul, you're not the worst. But how much is freedom is in that? To be able to invite people in. We, as the church, should culturally have a shift that we are not ashamed to admit our faults our shortcomings, when we screw up. We should be at the front of the line for confession. Yeah, I did it wrong. Ah, I wanted to do it right. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Inviting people into our real life gives us those opportunities to do that. I mentioned the softball field. That was a place where I got to be real sometimes, you know? Um, a friend of ours, one time, we were playing basketball at the rec center, and they were like, I love playing basketball with you because you're not thinking for once, you know? Because everything's so thoughtful and controlled. It's like you're just like slapping people. I'm a terrible fowler. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and, and it's, it's just visceral, right? You, you don't have time to pretend in real life. It's real life. Listen to me. An authentic witness is far more winsome than pretending to be perfect. An authentic witness in your real life, no matter how it's going, is far more powerful than pretending you're perfect. Matter of fact, I would maybe be bold and say, God can't use perfect people. What does he say? I came for the sick, not the healthy. And there the Pharisees stood. He means us.
Huh? It doesn't mean me. I'm the sick, not the healthy. We can invite people into our lives, our real lives. Being seen as authentic or, or genuine is something we might have to fight for in this war since many of us will automatically see us as perfect church people. Someone cusses in front of me, I right away say, no, don't, don't worry about that. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I don't want people to externally sanctify themselves so that they can pretend to be okay when they're lost in their sin. And neither should you, right? That we have to fight for it. I'm convinced one of our jobs, church, as believers in Jesus Christ, is to stand down off of pedestals. People go, oh, but look at your family. You guys are so righteous and holy, and your kids are all so great. Get off the pedestal. But you know God in ways that none of us mere mortals can. Get off your pedestal. It's such an ego thing to say, yes, I am. No, we're not. Stand down and point to Jesus, right? Like, invite him in the real life. I just am convinced that we have to fight for that with people because they will automatically assume and we can live into the assumptions. That's right, I go to church. That's right, I follow Jesus. And then the world goes to hell because they think they don't belong there. Now, doctrinally, I'm not saying they go to hell because we don't share that. All the Father has given me will come to me. But why not participate in that? Inviting people into our real messy lives. Can I just encourage you in that? Don't wait till you're perfect to participate in ministry in openness, in gospel proclamation. Okay, here we go. So we can invite people into our faith. Invite people into our faith. Inviting others into our faith means being authentic in our struggles and in our limitations, right? Faith is a a fight, and faith is a, a, a struggle. And we can invite people into that. Being a Christian means that we believe in Christ for salvation, not that we have all the answers, I just want to say that, like, being a Christian means we believe in Christ, not that we have all the answers. And, and some of you know me, and you've talked to me, and you're like, oh, you're such a know-it-all. And I understand, I don't think I'm right. I don't want to be wrong. And so I pursue, pursue, pursue. But I know more than anyone else, I'm not right about all these things. But I believe in Christ. I believe he is the Son of God. And I believe he's going to save me. How? I'm not 100% sure sometimes. But I believe it. One of my favorite verses, um, and I say it all the time, right? My favorite verse. It's like, it's, it's in here. My favorite verse is in here. Um, but it's, it's Mark 9, 24, I believe it is. Um, this guy's asking Jesus to heal his kid. Jesus is healing everybody, right? And the guy asks Jesus to heal his kid. And, Je- and the guy says, he makes a mistake. You ever made that mistake? You say one wrong word, and you just get called out in front of everybody? He says, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus goes, if I can. <laughs> oh, why did I say If. Why don't I just say, heal my son, right? And he says, all things are possible if you believe. And here's his response to God. I love this. Lord, I believe. Help with my unbelief. That's invitation into a faith life. If you can, if I can, well, Lord, I believe, but help with my unbelief. There's this idea that um, uh, faith is this kind of, uh, has this relationship with doubt, and we don't want to hear this, but you can just imagine there's this like faith and doubt thing. And faith is believing. Matter of fact, this is what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. It says this, faith is having confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By necessity, it's not a fact, it's faith. It's hope for the thing, that it's an assurance of what we hope for. A belief in what we do not see is faith. So there's this kind of needle, if you imagine, or this kind of sliding wedge in the life, our whole life, and it's faith and doubt. And this thing just slides back and forth, right? But we're leaning toward faith. Someone said, well, doesn't, someone asked me this, well, doesn't to have faith mean you have no doubt? What? Like, that's nonsensical at its face. Because if there's no doubt, it's fact. If it's fact, it's fact. Listen, I know this is some scary stuff. Some people say, now, wait a minute, man. I, 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 I need my pastor. I'm not saying me, but your pastor, your preacher, whatever say. I know. One time I told you all this, right? Some preacher was preaching. If you know that you know. I'm like, I know. If you know that you know that you know. I'm like, ah, I know. And it was a rhetorical thing, right? They got to like five. I'm like, I'm not sure I know anymore. They keep talking me out of this. I had the three levels of confidence. Four, yeah. Five. How far down the road are we going here? But do I believe? Oh, yeah. Yes, I believe. I have faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is believing when there's doubt. We can invite people into our faith life. Listen, why does that help us out? Because we don't have to have all the answers. We can just point people to Christ. We can invite them in. This is what it looks like to struggle. This is what it looks like to be in faith. This is what it looks like to believe in spite of the current circumstances. 
people sometimes get worn out from that. Like, oh, come on, man. How can you be so optimistic at a time like this? Because I believe. I believe. Faith, being in faith by necessity means that there will be room for doubt. I just want to say that. Where do I see this? Uh, in Jesus' own life. I'm hung up right now. We're heading to Easter. I'm hung up right now on the things Jesus said from the cross. And one of the things that's been staying out to me is this. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He said it in Aramean so that people could understand him. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. While he's on the cross. It says he says it in a loud voice. He doesn't say it quietly under his breath. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He's like, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And the text translates it for us, lest we forget our Aramean. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think Jesus believes in that moment? Do you think Jesus has absolute confidence in what God is doing? Yeah. But man, what a thing to cry out from the cross. Why have you forsaken me? This is actually a call from Psalm 22.1. I would encourage you to read the whole Psalm 22, but that's exactly what it says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me in time? And if you read Psalm 22, it goes back and forth. Oh God, why is it so hard? But I know that you're good. Oh God, I don't know how I can do this, but the lions are coming. Oh God, I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it. But in the end, I will proclaim your name because you have, what's the word say? Done it. Another word on the cross. Tetelestai. It is finished. See, the proclamation of faith in our lives leads right up to the moment of proclamation at death. This is why I'm so encouraged by brothers and sisters who believe on the gospel through their entire lives. If we don't invite people into our real faith, they will think, "Mm, I'm not sure I have that kind of faith. A couple more, we'll go quickly here. We can invite people to serve. We talked this morning about some opportunities we have to serve at the relevant banquet service. There's a little thing over this. How can I help? There's people working this morning in the back. There's people who get up here and share their, to get you some talents. People are serving the blast room right now. People brought in, made coffee this morning. People brought in donuts this morning. All kind of ways that we can serve one another. Jesus said this in Matthew 20. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There's a model we get from Jesus. He didn't come to sit back and have one wait on him. He came. It's funny to me sometimes we say that. We say, um, I'm serving the Lord, right? And I understand what we mean when we say that. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, right? So if you're going to be like me, you're going to go serve. I love that so many of you actually show up places and you automatically start helping. You can't help but to help. I love that. That's a, I think that's a godly model you're providing for people like me who have a tendency to maybe stand around and not jump right in, you know? Some of you think it may be the banquet. Well, I would go, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Maybe you're going to put a fork on every table. Fork, fork, fork. Unless you think I'm kidding. That's what we do sometimes there, right? Somebody's come around and straighten a napkin, straighten a napkin, straighten a napkin, right? Everyone does their part. We have opportunity to serve to exercise. What, why would we want to serve instead of being served? Inviting others to serve exercises our faith muscle, right? The number one call of the church is this, to equip God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ might be made strong, might be built up. That's in Ephesians 4, if you want to read it. That God has called the leadership to equip God's people for acts of service. That's ministry. That's just serving others as Jesus himself served others. Service opportunities are the proving ground for our faith. So if you think you believe something, go and do it. Then you'll know if you actually believe it, right? So we can go out and we can serve, and we can prove our faith by what we do. As a matter of fact, that's what it says in James 2.18. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. What we do in our lives is a demonstration of what we believe. You can reverse engineer that. It doesn't mean that doing things brings any salvation, but it means it's a manifestation of what we already believe to be true. If I believe that God has forgiven me all of my sins, I can forgive other people. Why? Because I believe I've been forgiven so I can forgive. If I'm unforgiving to other people, I gotta look back and say, do I really believe I've been forgiven? Do do I understand what I've gotten from God? There's so many things like this that that the result comes out of it. The things that we actually do in our lives, the service, the ministry, are a reflection of what we believe to be true. We can invite people to meals. I just have some, some questions here. How many times did, did Jesus um, invite people uh, to eat? Um, there's kind of some funny stories in the Bible, actually. Sometimes Jesus invited himself to people's houses. I'm gonna go with you. <laughs> okay, come on over, Jesus. The house isn't ready, but sure, <laughs> come on in, right? Uh, people walk by the, the people who like the really nice things, and they would scoff. can't believe he would eat at a place like that with people like them, Right? And Jesus is in there just hanging out at the table. This is great. This is who my father sent me to, to love and serve. I'm so honored to be here. 
right? As a matter of fact, Jesus is not only the kind of person who would eat with sinners and tax collectors, he was the kind of person that gets invited to things. I, I love this about Jesus. Um, this comes in, in John 2, and I'm just going to read two verses. You don't turn it unless you want to, but it's the wedding of, in Cana of Galilee, right? And he does his first miracle there. But there's this little sentence beforehand that says this, on the third day a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to this wedding. So he's the kind of dude that they would say, hey, you should be there. We'd love to have you. And then while he's there, a miracle happens, right? Um, I bet that that family is glad they gave Jesus an invitation for the good wine, right? So we can sit and eat with people. How could we forget that the, 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 the guys on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus enters their home, that's the only time, the only time in the scripture I see Jesus pretending, he pretends to go on because he wants to eat with them. And as he pretends to go on, they say, hey, hey, don't go on. Come on, come to my house and eat with me. And what's the word say? When he goes to their house and he breaks the bread, they see him and he disappears. What is it about eating with people? I mean, this is a very practical thing. You're like, I don't know how to talk about my faith. I don't know how to share. I don't know how to invite people. I, I got this person I've been praying for, and I don't know what to do. Say, hey, you want to grab a coffee? Hey, you want to go grab a, a meal? Oh, I'm going to be nervous. And then you know what you should do, I think? <coughs> Have no agenda. Don't go there to manipulate or I'm going to say this. They're going to say that. I'm going to say this. And, and I'm going to have this moment. No. Just go there and be like, hey, how are you? What's going on? And you begin to talk with people, and then they begin to go, oh, just... Matter of fact, sometimes I have to say it because I'm a pastor. I'll say it. There's no agenda. Some of you have meal with me, and I've had to say it to you, right? That's because I don't want you... Because there's no agenda. There's really no agenda. And watch what happens when you eat with people. Some dear friends of ours actually tell me how they, they um, reach young people for Christ, and they say, we feed them, and then we just hang out. What a simple ministry concept. Come and eat. What does the word say? Taste and see. Here's the last one. We can invite people uh, to pray. Now... Often, we will think this, and, and I want to confess to you this morning, I'm not the greatest at this sometimes. Some will say this. One of my uh, heroes in this way is uh, Lance Carpenter. Uh, he always did a great job. He said he'd forget later. So he would, if you say, hey, Lance, will you pray for me? Lance will say, yeah, sure. And then he'll say, let's pray. <laughs> right there on the spot. Remember this, right? I love him so much. And I'd be like, man, because usually I do pray. But he's like, yeah, I'll be praying for you. And I walk away, and I'm like, ugh. But I don't mean invite them to pray like, like, they tell you all their problems, right, and your hearts, and then you go, hey, can I pray for you? That's a great thing. That's a great thing to do. But how about this? You hear their problems, you say, I'll be praying for you. Can you pray for me? Can you pray? This is about the invitation of real life, invitation of people into your faith. Will you pray for my situation, too? I'll pray for you. Will you pray for me? Say, now, wait a minute, Bill, I'm a believer. I'm a... Why would we not invite them in? Maybe it'd be a moment of conversation. Well, how would I, how would I pray? You just talk to God about it. Say, do you, you know, you love me, right? You're hanging out, you said to me or something. Yeah, yeah. Would you just remember me in your prayers? What is it about us that we so often are afraid to ask for prayer ourselves? This is something I've been practicing myself when I meet with people. I'll say, hey, will you pray for me in this one way? And when God leads me to do it, I do it. Why? I think that's beneficial. Prayer is faith and practice. And it's a demonstration of relationship and of a God who is hearing, right? That God hears our prayers, even when we don't know how to pray. Where do I see this in the model, modeled in Scripture? Here's the thing. Jesus is uh, facing the cross. He's been telling his disciples, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross, y'all. They're like, no way, I'm not going to the cross. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die, and I'm going to ra be raised in three days. Eh, it's not going to happen. Never let it happen. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, the word Gethsemane means it's the place where the, uh, the uh, oil is pressed, right? There's a garden, an olive garden, where they would press out everything to get the essence from it. And in this moment, he invites his disciples. He says, hey, come with me to Gethsemane. We're going to pray. They know where it's at because that's where Judas betrays him. And it says, the word says that they go there often as disciples to meet and talk and pray. And he invites them in. Think about this for a minute. Just think with me for a minute that Jesus, the Son of God, the one that we said who left his throne to condescend, to come and save humanity, to die for us, invited people into his prayer closet at Gethsemane. And then the word says this. He says, Wait here, and he says, you three, come with me. And he says about a stone's throw away, you stay here and watch, and I'm going to go over there and pray. And the word says he goes over and he gets on his knees and he begins to pray, Father, if there's any other way that this cup would pass before me, take it from me, but not what I want, what you want. And he's praying to the point of blood. He's being pressed out on this earth for the sake of the gospel. And what does he do? He gets up and he goes over to disciples and they're sleeping. And he says, wake up. Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray. I mean, think about that. Jesus is over there 
pressed out, and they're so indifferent, they're sleeping it off. I'm not mad at them. I get it. Like, who are we? You're the Christ. What am I going to say that's going to matter? He says, hey, wake up and pray. The hour has come. This is the moment I was made for. Can I just say, if Jesus can invite other people to pray as he gives himself for us, can we not ask others to pray? Are we, are we more proud than Jesus? Are, are we holier? Listen, are our prayers more righteous than his? Praise God. Praise God. He invites us to pray, and praise God that we can invite others to pray. So why not? Here's what Jesus said in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? JC said, wash people's feet. Jesus says, why do you say I'm your Lord and you don't do these things you saw me do? Who could you invite into one of these areas of your life? Now, I gave you a big list. I get it. And I'm not saying go out and do these things. And maybe you do none of these things. Maybe you go, man, that wasn't God at all. But maybe there's something that God told you this morning, like, hey, here's an area for you. Here's a thing for you. And there's a fear or an uncertainty. I want to encourage you to push into that in Christ, to follow Jesus into his leading there and just lean into whatever it looks like. I'm going to risk it. I'm going to take the chance because I believe the gospel. I'm going to lean into this and see what he might do. What area of your faith could you invite people into? And then who in our lives needs us to be real, right? In our studies, in our lives, or when they come to the door, just be real. I think that's one of our calls. Um, I'm gonna ask you to uh, pray with me and pray that God would kind of um, instruct us in what we are to do uh, and that we have a right heart about all these things. Father God, I thank you so much for the truth of your gospel and for the way that you uh, came and invited us so simply into your life. I am stunned repeatedly, Lord, by your humility and your grace in inviting us into relationship with you and into knowledge that's too great for us to understand. And Father, I want to confess with my brothers and sisters here this morning that there are ways we get this so wrong. And I, I know, Father, I'm not sure if they feel this way, but I, I'm tired of being put in a box that people can just discount the gospel. I mean, I'm indifferent about me. Put me in a box all day, but not your gospel, not your son, not the Savior. Because you are so much bigger than the stories we tell. Would you help us to be responding to your gospel? Would you help us to step down where we need to step down, step back, and, and just be authentic witnesses? Oh, would you give us the courage for honesty? Oh, that we would spend ourselves on love. Father, I thank you so much for the way I'm encouraged by your Holy Spirit, taught by your word, and then encouraged by your fellowship, the people who gather in your name. May we all be so encouraged by you and one another. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.